0: I have a very dramatic announcement. So anyone with a weak heart should leave now.
1: Unreal. Revolution revolution. Uncensored. Revolution revolution. Unfiltered. Unchanged? Revolution revolution.
2: Unadulterated. Unbelievable. Cliffcentral.com. revolution, revolution. revolution. Unbelievable.
3: A very, very hearty and warm welcome to all our listeners on the special broadcast, Looking Up with Professor David Block. What a singular joy, what a singular honor to be with you today. So excited to see all my followers tweeting and using all the social media at their disposal to scratch the unknowable, to dream, to reach... ...for the almost unattainable to study astronomy, to look at the marvels of entrepreneurship in every single show. It's just so different and so unique with such awesome guests that uh, I could barely wait for the uh, next crossing. For the next five weeks, allow me to tell you that I will be in Sydney... Uh, based in Sydney and Canberra in Australia. And so Gareth Cliff will be interviewing me, uh, in his morning show. And there will be other guests taking my chair, as it were, for five weeks while I'm away. Uh, but can't get, can't wait really to get back to work with Palisa, to work with, uh, our audio engineer, Duncan, and to, to work with this incredible team here at Cliff Central. Do remember, if you want to reach me this afternoon, you are welcome to dial in on 861 So to reach me on radio, or to reach me live in the global stream, zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. 555 uh, You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, WeChat ID. Uh, Twitter handle is at cliffcentral.com. Instagram is at cliffcentral. Facebook, likewise, cliffcentral. And the WeChat ID is also Cliff Central. Just to repeat, you're listening to Professor David Block. My personal webpage is www.davidblock. One word. Davidblock.co.za. Follow me there. And also please join the tweet feed, which is the handle at StarryGalaxyMan. So that's at StarryGalaxyMan. Today we're going to, our theme is perhaps a little mouthful for uh, most listeners But we're going to make it digestible So you and I, as we walk, possess a certain amount of knowledge And one of the interesting themes over the decades and centuries is How do we know that we know? And the theory of knowledge falls under a very, very broad category of epistemology. So if you go to Google and you're a little bit frightened by this word, just type in epistemology, E-P-I-S, and then tomology. And you'll see what it really entails. I have a great friend in Australia who's a professor there, and he's a professor in the field. Uh, of epistemology and it's a really exciting field to be in It's one of the cutting edge fields really um, How do we actually know A, B, C, D And how do we know the truth And is truth absolute or is truth relative So in studio today Joining me live in studio today at cliffcentral.com In Ravonia is Thorsten Merbach Thorsten a oh, hearty welcome to you We are thrilled to have you with us and I'm thrilled to
1: be here. Thank you, David.
3: So uh, Thorsten is going to be one of is one of my uh, honoured guests this afternoon, and we'll be tossing all these ideas around of knowing and honesty and choosing, and you know, uh, you know, how do we actually live our lives in such a way that we in touch not with virtual reality? But with actual reality. I suppose that's another way of phrasing this whole epistemology issue. And then we have a very special guest from Switzerland, uh, and we are interviewing him live too on air, but uh, the live is via landline, and a very hearty welcome to our special guest in Switzerland. Ellis Potter. Ellis, welcome to Looking Up with David Bloch.
0: Thank you very much, David. It's lovely to be with you over the line.
3: It's just so awesome to hear your voice. Uh, I would like to tell all our listeners that Ellis really ranks as an extremely deep thinker. Only last night was I alluding to one of the great works of Auguste Rodin, uh, The Thinker. And it's something, thinking, really, is so rare in our very modern virtual world that you and I live in. And uh, Ellis is an extremely deep thinker. Uh, Ellis, of course, you live in Switzerland, and you've, uh, for many years, worked at a little uh, place which my wife, Liz, has told me about. Uh, some wonderful stories about the place called Labri. Could you please tell all our listeners, Ellis, as to what the aims of Brie really were and are?
0: Yes, thank you, David. I would love to do that. Labri means the shelter in French.
2: Yes. And it
0: was an organization and a series of communities that were founded in nineteen fifty five
2: yes. by Dr.
0: Francis Schaefer from y- America. Yes. The first one was in Switzerland, but now there are about eight of them in various countries all over the world. Labri means the shelter and that's really what the Labri communities are. They are places where people can come yes. and in a sheltered environment and community, ask the honest questions that they need to ask and to receive loving, welcoming hospitality that will support them and comfort them in the struggle that it is yes. to ask honest questions.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you know this is so interesting because my wife Liz, and this is going back to the 1970s, uh, my beloved wife Liz uh, was uh, visiting La Brie. We did not know one another at that stage. Of course, she comes from a Jewish background. And uh, she went to Labrie because she just had so many questions uh, which she couldn't find answers to. And what's very interesting is when we got married, she told me about Labrie and she told me about an incredible genius by name, Ellis Potter, who answered all her questions. So do you actually, would you have sat down with her in a sheltered environment to do this one-on-one, Ellis? I probably
0: had at least one one-on-one, but I also would have had some mealtime conversations with her. I see. Because a lot of the a lot of the teaching at La Brie happens at meal times, where there is one conversation, yes. and everybody can speak, but only one at a time. Yes. So I would have been with her in that situation, and possibly in a lecture situation. I see.
3: Now, Ellis, I'd really love you. Of course, I know. Uh, you know, we've known each other for many years via uh, the uh, follow your news letters. Um. Uh, pretty diligently, but I'd like you to just paint for all our listeners in South Africa and across the world, uh, give us an idea of your background, your training, your history, your passions, your interests, and so forth. In other words, a little condensed five-minute uh, Ellis Potter uh, hook scenario. <laughs>
0: oh, thank you, David. I was born in California and lived there until I was 27. Okay. I began as a teenager to ask a lot of questions about what is truth, absolute questions that children ask like how far is far, how yes. high is up, yes. how small is small. Yes. I wanted to think things down to the bottom and out to the edges of reality. Mhm. And there weren't a lot of people who were quite interested in doing that. Mhm. But I did discover that the Zen Buddhists were regularly interested in this kind of thinking. Mm. So I became a Zen Buddhist monk.
3: I see, and an then, actual Zen Buddhist monk. That's incredible.
0: Yes. And yes. then in 1975, I was traveling, visiting monasteries. Yes. And a friend of mine met me and said he wanted to go to La Brie, and I didn't know what it was. But we went, and I stayed there and studied there, and then I became a Christian.
2: yes. That's and incredible. And I became
0: a Christian. Yes. I became a Christian because it became clear to me that it takes less faith to believe in Christianity mm-hmm. than to believe in anything else.
2: Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And
0: that was one of the main reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, I stayed there and I worked for about 18 years in the community and traveled to other communities and came three times to South Africa That's to give right. some lectures mm-hmm. and preach in townships and... kinds of activities and then in 91 I came to Basel in Switzerland Uh to be a pastor Uh which I did for ten years Uh and then I began concentrating more on traveling and lecturing and Uh preaching Uh and then I uh, took another pastorate in Lausanne which Uh I'm doing now Uh as well as traveling and I've written a little book about Uh worldviews called three theories of everything and i'm just finishing a book about epistemology
3: oh good well i didn't know that but this is our central theme today is epistemology so you are also exceedingly interested to know how do we know that we know how as you so beautifully put how far is far are the nearest stars far or are they nearby is the coma cluster of galaxies far, no, they're really close to home, when we look to the Hubble Deep Field, then we get you know, <laughs> so that question but what's very interesting, tell me in Z Buddhism uh, are they specifically interested in these questions of relativeness and for example how high is up and and so forth
0: no Okay so, so they're, they're interested in truth yes. but their conclusion is that truth is the self with a capital S mm-hmm. and that there is one self in reality mm-hmm. and it is buddha nature
2: mm-hmm. and
0: so epistemology <clears throat> is uh, expressed in experience in a rather existential way
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So although they 're very intelligent people mm. and they write lots of books, mm. the foundational absolute mm. is a, a total unity
3: mm. of mm. self mm. now what 's very interesting is uh, my wife, ha- Liz, has a family member uh, abroad. Uh, she may even be listening to us today. I do not know, but the interesting thing wa- is is that she 'd enter a room. Uh, and for example, she'd say there's really very positive energy here. The energy, the, uh, the, uh, I don't know the, the French word, but the, the energy here is, uh, is, uh, you know, really remarkable. And then in this other room, the energy is not remarkable. So that's sort of a very, um, that's sort of a very central concept. Is it not Ellis within, um, uh, Zen Buddhism?
0: it's not a central concept within zen buddhism but it is within other forms of buddhism and hinduism
3: yes yes <clears throat> so what's very interesting in uh, in the in the scenario of our program which is being fed out from global streaming via um south africa is the fact that uh, you know the importance of asking honest questions now thorsten i'd like you to join in this conversation please and uh, given the history um, and the current tumultuous history of our country, uh, there are you know, very few people uh, in higher echelons or lower echelons who are really willing to be honest. I think it's one of the greatest problems we are facing in our country uh, at the present time. How important is it to you, Thorsten, for people to actually ask questions which are honest and to actually accept
1: answers which are honest? I don't think we can uh, understate the importance. I think, um, what, uh, wh- one thing I'm noticing in, um, in our country, if we just contextualize it for South Africa, is that, uh, we haven't always been very good at, um, at asking questions or also at welcoming questions. And so I think we have, you know, various dynamics at play. It would be interesting to explore those, but, um, you know, we have the dynamic of, um, a question being seen as disrespectful, mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. some circles mm-hmm. or, uh, asking questions may be seen as doubting and mm-hmm. doubting is mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. And you need to just, you know, repeat the slogan often enough mm-hmm. until you believe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there's a lot of, a lot of fear at play that we, um, often <coughs> just so scared of, um, fielding a question of receiving a question because we might be unsure of the ground that we're standing on ourselves so i think there's all sorts of dynamics that um, have made it i think difficult i every year at uh, the the college at which i teach i ask the students um, you know which one which of you uh, grew up in a environment in a home in a school in which Questions were encouraged, and mm. very few hands go up. Mm. I think it's changing, and it's changing for the better, mm. and that is good. Mm. But uh, it's important that it changes because mm. if I, if I cannot have the freedom to ask the question, if mm. I do not have the safe space mm. to ask the question, then how do I grow? Mm. How do I learn? Mm. I also potentially cut myself off from a uh, um, meaningful relationship. Because Mm -hmm. if I can't ask you an honest question, Mm -hmm. what does it say for our relationship? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's absolutely critical Mm -hmm. that we're able to ask Mm -hmm. and receive Mm -hmm. good questions.
3: Of course, Thorsten, the interesting point here, and Ellis might to add um, on as well, is the following. Last night at a very large lecture I was giving at the University of Pretoria, I mentioned the fact that uh, most of my students, in fact, are extremely afraid of Silence, and I've asked people this Really, uh, you know, wherever I travel In a week's time I'll be in Sydney, as you know, Thorsten But the important thing is that Students are very scared of silence, and I've asked them why. Why are why is one addicted to, you know, having plugs in your ears with music 24-7, entering a mall, there's music, you know, going into an aircraft, there's music. There's a general great fear of silence. So I'd like you, Thorsten, to kick off and then Ellis to fill in. Now, with regard to silence, I think of the work, for example, uh, Pensée by Blaise Pascal. And I'm writing a book about Blaise Pascal. But the interesting thing there is that Pascal thought in silence. He valued silence. Truth uh, to Pascal uh, emerged in a world of silence. He uh, was very careful to say, The heart has its reasons that reason knows not of. Uh, and last night this resonated with everyone at the university whom I addressed is a, people are generally so scared of silence. They, they, you, I, I've, I put up a, I put up an image of Rodin's famous work, The Thinker. And I said to them, when last have you seen anyone like that? seated in your lounge and everybody in the audience said to me professor i have never seen anyone seated like that in my lounge ever why do you believe Thorston that people are so ultra afraid of really thinking through matters
1: involving honesty wow um i think fear certainly is a factor and uh but um Perhaps it can also just be that niggling background doubt, um, you know, as, is the the way I'm building my life, are mm-hmm. the decisions that I'm making, the the priorities that I'm setting, are they actually uh, um, solid? Um, the other thing, though, I, th- I don't think it necessarily always needs to be fear. I think I see this with my kids. There are just so many uh, um, distractions and especially those that come on screens of various mm-hmm. forms that uh, vie for our attention. Mm-hmm. And um, – so I think often it's also just a question of being, I don't know, just absorbed into mm. the thing, into mm. whatever, uh, mm. looks for our attention mm. the most. Mm. And if we are not thought through mm. about what we invest our time and our thinking mm. and our energy in, mm. then we just get sucked into whatever is in our face the most. Right, right.
3: You know, Ellis, I'd love you to expand on this because, of course, you come from Switzerland, based in Switzerland now, and I think of the mountains, the hills, the the Alps, but the silence. I just love walking in the snow in silence, pondering the great questions, the mysteries of the cosmos. Why do you believe people are so afraid to be silent and to just be still and think? I think
0: there's a difference between just being silent and thinking. Mm -hmm. I know the Swiss farmers are quite at peace with themselves and with their environment, and they're happy to be silent because Mm -hmm. they're at home with themselves. And when they're silent, they don't, they don't experience a great emptiness inside themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one reason why people are afraid to be silent, because they're afraid to be alone with themselves. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. they don't know who they are, or when they look at themselves, they don't like what they see. Right. And they realize that their thoughts are a chaos, or they only have other people's thoughts, Mm -hmm. and they don't have any thoughts of their own.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And it's a bit disturbing, and Mm -hmm. so people are, afraid of being confronted Mm -hmm. uh, with reality Mm -hmm. without Mm distraction.
3: And now, of course, uh, if I think of my students at university, 250 of them, to whom I lecture every day, I think that um, one needs to then think of a remedy for this. Uh, You know, the addiction to technology. Technology, uh, to all our listeners out there, I, as uh, you know, a professor of applied math and computational applied math, uh, am not decrying the use of technology. Please do not get me wrong, but I am saying that if technology is your uh, master and not your slave, you are. Treading down a path Where as Ellis says Your thoughts are not your own But now the point is To someone who is addicted In a very true sense To the SMS To the iPod To the iPhone And all the other um, pieces of technology Which students have They simply won't break away from that So we need to think of very clever ways Of getting students to actually think out of the box And uh, I find this a challenge Worldwide really really, whether I'm I'm in South Africa or a guest investigator at Harvard University, I find people very scared to actually the general student, age say 25 or 20 to actually sit and confront reality and who am I and do I have a purpose and is the universe accident or is it designed what sort of remedy would you give to a student who can't break away from a continual 24-7 info input
0: One little effort that I make is doing all of my teaching without electricity.
3: Expand, please.
0: Well, I don't use any PowerPoint or recordings or uh, amplification. There doesn't need to be any electricity in the room where I teach. Mm -hmm. I don't look at a screen ever. Yes, and I and my students don't look at a screen. They look at me, and I mm-hmm. look at them, mm-hmm. and we interact.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's a technological silence for a while,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and I think it's very therapeutic for them.
3: Now we have a little question here from Sam, Professor. I have come to the conclusion that there are some things in life that are absolutely unknowable, but many great thinkers just won't admit to that. Your, res- your your response to Sam.
0: Well, I would need to know what sort of things that he's thinking about that are unknowable. Yes. Is he just imagining vaguely that some things are unknowable because yes. that's some sort of excuse that yes. he doesn't need to be responsible to the yes. knowable things, or does he have some specific things in mind?
3: He does. Sam is continuing here in his questions. Uh, regarding origins of the universe, we think of Richard Dawkins and his view on the origins of the universe. I'll be happy to comment on that myself. Uh, he continues, God is God knowable or unknowable and good versus evil. Are those not just relative rather than absolute uh, definitions? Thorsten, with you, us here in studio, uh, which one of the three would you like to pick? Origins of the universe, God or good versus evil? And then we'll
1: kick over back to Ellis in Switzerland. David, it sounds like the uh, the first one of Origins of the universe is very much your department. Yes. Uh, Do you want to kick us off on that?
3: Absolutely. So, in other words, many people would say, well, let me put it this way. And this is very clear in my book, a new book which is appearing, is that one of the greatest astronomers of all time was undoubtedly Galileo Galilei. And Galileo said he sees before him two books, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And he said there can be no contradiction because both have the same author. But he also said the Bible is not a scientific textbook, which is true. He said the Bible teaches us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. And I think that's one of the most crucial mistakes made in the 1600s was that the cardinals and pope of the time, Pope Urban VIII, I believe, uh, you know, really insisted that uh, there was a geocentric universe, which, of course, we knew was utter nonsense, and that everything didn't revolve around the Earth. But the point is, with regard to origins, it's very, very interesting. I think one has to take this uh, in two different uh, sectors. One has to look at the Book of Nature. One has to look at the Book of Scripture, and and experience, you know, all forms of truth. I believe are actually, in a sense, transcendent. In other words, uh, as a believer in the existence of God, who has entered both space and time, I am fully convinced that we, you know, I'm very happy to say that the work I do, Thorsten and Ellis, you know, at the university where, that, where I'm lecturing, say, on um, cosmic dust or whatever the themes might be, uh, or, or the Big Bang itself, Uh, You can't a priori look at the universe and say, well, God definitely exists. Um, There are great evidences towards it, the fine tunings of the weak nuclear force, the strong nuclear force, the electromagnetic force field. And the gravitational force field. But you can't a priori say that, you know, I can't just look up at the night sky and say, you know, God exists. But we are told in scripture and by experience that when we look up at the night sky, we start thinking about these questions of the origins of the universe. Uh, but one has to be very careful uh, in invoking a God uh, Ellison Thorsten, who are, who is continually retreating. That's the, what, that's been the, um, the theme, uh, of God for the last couple of, uh, uh, centuries since Galileo is that we call it the gods of the gap argument. In other words, we don't understand the origins of the universe, therefore God exists. Then we do start understanding the, uh, origins of the universe. For example, Stephen Hawking's work on gut. Uh, the grand unified field theories, and then, you know, God is no longer needed. So I believe that science, the book of science, like like Galileo believed, the book of science and the book of nature um, are sharing different sectors of reality, of truth. Uh, your thoughts, Ellis?
0: Well, in, in my book about epistemology that's coming out, I speak about four authoritative sources that inform our epistemology yes and one is revelation yes that content comes to us in the creation from outside of the creation Mm -hmm. and it isn't produced by the creation nor by us Mm -hmm. but it should fit the creation as Mm -hmm. we experience it Mm -hmm. and then another source is rationality Mm -hmm. that we can see how things work Mm -hmm. and another source is what i would call tradition or institution or our cultural awareness we Mm -hmm. know things Mm -hmm. in that way and finally there is personal experience Mm -hmm. that each one of us has Mm -hmm. in terms of the origin of the universe as a christian i would say Mm -hmm. the essential point is that reality is fundamentally not mechanical or energetic,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but
0: personal and relational.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you expand and on that? That
0: gives a, a mm-hmm. completely different context.
3: Mm-hmm. So, in other words, in other words, I believe that uh, from a rational point of view, and this is uh, wearing the hat of Professor David Block to our listeners today, but I would say that uh, once one accepts a personal God, for example, then it becomes very easy to understand origins of the universe, notions of purpose, notion of mankind appearing uh, down the line. You know, uh, Einstein himself said the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's fully comprehensible. Uh, But I would add and caution that it's very interesting when you talk to people, for example, at Harvard, you can't simply, you know, they study the universe. And, uh, you know, the, many of their responses might be, well, you know, God is just a myth. It's a, but I think one has to address the deeper issues, which Pascal addressed in the Pensee, in his great apologetic work, the Pensee, of uh, origins, purpose, but also of the heart. Uh, Pascal was so in tune with people's hearts. Don't you think that's a, a critical aspect of epistemology and reality, Ellis?
0: It depends on what the heart means. If the heart means the center of us that includes the mind, yes. then I would be all for it. Yes. But if the heart means only the emotions or the reactions that we have, mm-hmm. then I would say that that's very limiting.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. But we have to come to truth with our whole self in order to properly relate to it. We can't only relate to it with our mind or with our emotions or with our physical bodies and sensations. We have to bring our whole self which I would say is the heart.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, your comments, Thorsten, now that you've had time to contemplate on the answers given by Ellis <laughs> and myself you don't necessarily need to tackle no, no. the origins of the universe but you might like to tackle some of the other ones like is god knowable or unknowable or uh, you know the, the whole point we're really making Thorsten I suppose is that to multitudes of our listeners who've read Richard Dawkins book The God Delusion is that they don't see any need for god whatsoever and i think the, the key mistake there Thorsten is that they don't see any need for god uh, that is the, uh, you know, science has never ever or should never be invoked to prove the existence or the non-existence of God. He exists, as I point out in our book, Shrouds of the Night, outside of space and time. Your comments,
1: Thorsten? And following on from that, perhaps, okay, the need of God is again perhaps a slightly different question. But, Absolutely. Um, if God is the origin of all things, if he, if, if he is God in any meaningful mm-hmm. sense of the word, mm-hmm. cre, uh, creator, then, um, the very air that we breathe, mm. <laughs> we breathe, um, mm. because of mm. God's existence. Mm. So we cannot actually then in that, uh, um, thinking then say, uh, we don't need God, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. because we owe our, our every breath right. to him, if that would right. be true. Right. I just also wanted to say, I, I do feel, I do feel Sam's pain. I think, um let's let's be honest, yes. it is difficult yes. to, to connect yes. with truth sometimes. Yes. Um but yes. I think there's also I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give up the search. I would yes. say that it's, even if one is not able to know fully yes. what if one is able to know truly? Yes. If you think of the relationship between any two people, um Uh, We may not know each other fully Mm -hmm. um, But we can still know each other truly We can still stand Mm -hmm. In meaningful relationship Mm -hmm. With each other Mm -hmm. And so the um, I I loved uh, Ellis' list of uh, Four ways of Mm -hmm. of knowing Mm -hmm. Um, We can pursue I mean this is much more than we can chat Mm -hmm. about today But Mm -hmm. we can pursue each one of those Mm -hmm. And and find the fingerprints of God Mm -hmm. In each of them Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm. Listeners you are hearing an incredibly interesting interview. I trust you agree. Uh, Ellis Potter in Switzerland, Thorsten Mirbach and Marbach in the studio, myself, David Block, the program Looking Up with David Block. Ellis, please stay on the line. We're going to have a music break, some real ethnic vibes from the tip of Southern Africa. You're listening to Professor David Block, looking up with David Block to reach us in studio zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. The Twitter handle is at cliffcentral.com. On Instagram, is if that is your social love, reach us on Cliff Central. On Facebook, likewise, just type in Cliff Central. And on WeChat, which is the most popular feed. Also, uh, Cliff Central. I will be away for five weeks, flying out to Sydney this coming, uh, week. And I will be interviewed each week by, uh, Gareth, Gareth Cliff on his show. And there will be people standing in for me, uh, in my absence. But it's just such a joy, uh, to have such distinguished guests on the, uh, show today. Uh, Ellis Potter in Switzerland, and Thorsten Merbach in uh, South Africa. Now, clearly, uh, listeners, you can hear that Ellis uh, really has a very warm way, very singularly warm way, of answering questions without making one feel judgmental uh, in any sense or angry towards oneself in any sense. He sort of I love the word of Labrie and shelter. You can hear from his voice. It's very calm, very relaxed, but the mind of someone truly great. So Thorsten, I'd like to ask you first of all, uh, could you please tell us? I know uh, I'm flying out and Ellis Potter is flying in. Uh, where can people go? to see the schedule of Ellis Potter in South Africa.
1: David, we've got um, quite a few um, events lined up with Ellis. Um, a lot of these events aren't sort of, you know, big uh, stadium-type events. It's okay. a more small group, mm-hmm. more interactive, more okay. an opportunity Good. to um, uh, interact with Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellis will be out. Um, he's flying out tomorrow. He will uh, – so um, events will start on the Friday. Mm-hmm. Um Short of me listing all the events, I think the simple thing to do is just to give you the website reference. Uh-huh. It will do. be labri.za.org. So on a website, you can do labri without the apostrophe, L-A-B-R-I dot and just make sure you get that the right way around. It's za.org and that'll take you to um, a Facebook page that'll give you all the events that uh, you can engage with Ellis with. This would be Cape Town, Stellenbosch, Awesome. Uh, Johannesburg, mm-hmm. Pretoria, Chwane. Mm-hmm. If you're in any of those places, do come along.
3: So, for everyone who's following this live or going to follow it by podcast, Ellis Potter is flying out to South Africa tomorrow. And the webpage to look up his rather hectic schedule, I would say, uh, as a speaker myself, it's a very busy schedule, but uh, it's going to be just awesome, is labrie.za.org. Uh, so that's L for Larry, A for Apple, B for Billy, R for Robert, I dot ZA dot org. So, Ellis, to invite you back, uh, please, uh, I just watched a very short little clip, uh, before coming on, um, the global stream today on your three theories of everything. Why don't you just gently walk us through what that book Actually asserts.
0: Thank you, David. It talks about three absolute worldviews, and it's actually quite simple, as I think most great thinking is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's as simple as one, two, three. Mm-hmm. The first major worldview is monism or oneism, the mm-hmm. belief that everything is one mm-hmm. fundamentally
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that diversity is an anomaly or evil, Mm -hmm. and that to find true goodness we need to immerse ourselves in the oneness of reality. Mm -hmm. The second worldview is dualism, for two, and it's the idea that reality is made up of equal opposites, Mm -hmm. and we suffer because the opposites are not in balance and harmony with Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. as they are fundamentally. Mm So the therapy for that is to have various practices to restore the balance of
2: Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm.
0: The third view is the biblical worldview, Mm -hmm. which is three for the Trinity, Mm -hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. where the fundamental reality is personal and relational Mm -hmm. and other-centered. So the center of the Son is not himself, it is the Father and the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. and the same with the other persons. Mm -hmm. And we suffer in this worldview because we have become Mm self-centered rather than Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm other-centered. And so the therapy there is that God himself enters into the creation and becomes part of it, Merry Christmas, and then offers himself for the others Mm -hmm. to remake The universe and reality as a whole. Mm -hmm. And when we receive the power of that offering Mm -hmm. of God himself, Mm -hmm. then we can become new, other-centered creatures, Mm -hmm. alive, rather than dead, self-centered
3: creatures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in other words, what you're saying is you're taking us through a walk of different uh, scenarios, beginning with that really everything is just singular, everything is one. Then rather a dualism, uh, I would call it, of yin yang, almost as Thorsten has also said. And then uh thirdly, a rather friendly universe where you actually encounter the awesomeness of God in such a real way. But now, for the listeners out there... Uh, how does one guide, in your mind, a person as to which of those scenarios is viable? Because let's suppose, let us just suppose that Richard Dawkins was sitting and listening to this global streaming today. What would you say to him, who wrote The God Delusion, what would you say to him, uh, to him who simply asserts that God is dead? I would
0: say that I don't want to be as religious as Richard Dawkins is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: because Richard Dawkins is having faith in an hypothesis yes. for which there is not a lot of basis. Yes. Whereas the hypothesis that I believe in has a lot of evidence mm-hmm. and a lot of basis mm-hmm. in in the reality that I experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It
0: takes less faith. To believe in Christianity and the God of the Bible mm-hmm. than to believe in a, a machine mm-hmm. universe, or an energetic
2: mm-hmm. universe,
0: mm-hmm. or a totally chaotic mm-hmm. universe. There just isn't much evidence mm-hmm. for that kind of universe, given the reality of the human being. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, on the whole, given the totality of the reality mm-hmm. in which we exist, mm-hmm. that Christianity is the least religious option mm-hmm. of a worldview.
3: Mm-hmm. Of course, what Dawkins would say, and I have watched him very closely on this, is that, uh, many people, uh, send him what's called Christian hate letters or Christian love letters, whatever you want to say. I think his program's called Christian love letters. And they really say, we're just gonna thrive on watching you burn away because, you know, you're teaching us on, you know, key concepts of evolution and so forth. Uh, I like to look at a far grander sweep of the pen, Ellis, in that I like to look at the fundamental laws of the cosmos long before mankind ever emerged. Mm. I like to look at a global picture of the universe. Do you also like to do that?
0: Oh, yes. I I ask people often, who was Jesus Christ before you were born? Mm Mm-hmm to get them to think out of their own box into mm-hmm. a larger scope of reality. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, I want your answer, a beautiful, uh, well, a thought has just appeared, uh, a quote, rather, has just appeared on the screen, and it's a quote by Jacques Fresco, and uh, the response uh, is that they'd like your response to the following quote, and it reads, and I quote, uh, Jacques Fresco writes, and I quote, Ignorant people invent gods and demons to understand the world around them. Science cures that. Unquote. Your response, Ellis.
0: I think the first part is true that ignorant people do invent a variety of gods and demons. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that happens doesn't mean that there isn't a God who reveals
3: himself. Mm-hmm. And would you like to and, liberate and to that, someone, I mean, what would convince, what would convince someone like Jacques? I mean, he's saying that ignorant people, you know, have invented God. Now we've got science. We don't need God anymore. What does Ellis Potter have to tell us or tell us that would be challenging enough to make us contemplate another worldview?
0: I think whatever I might say, it would be most important that I would offer him a cup of tea and give him loving hospitality and true human caring Interesting. relationship.
2: Interesting. And
0: pray that the Holy Spirit would touch his mind in ways that I will never be able
3: to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the greatest leaders of all time, uh, certainly emerged from South Africa, as you know, uh, former President Nelson Mandela. And I once tried to reach him. I had a number of... Um, Occasions to meet him Ellis Including one with Stephen Hawking And at the one On the one occasion uh, He was busy giving a party And the party was for his gardeners And he was giving them tea And I just love what you say Because at the end of the day I think that logic only takes you to a certain point, and I think Pascal mm. was very strong about on this. It's interesting that you just sort of, you know, you've sort of uh, take the trail or the rocket blazing, or the, the logical rocket blazing into space, and then bring it back to love, to relationship. Yes. That seems to be the way you address these questions head on. Am I correct?
0: Yes, I think it's essential. If, if the Bible is true, if we don't have love, we're just a silly noise.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the point is, to our listeners who might be contemplating, uh, oneness or dualism or trinity, what would you say to them? I mean, given that we can't offer everybody now listening to the global stream a cup of tea, uh, what sort of key thoughts could Ellis Potter share with us regarding what choice do I make? I mean, a person might just say, well, I'm a Buddhist and, you know, uh, I'm just happy to believe in reincarnation and so forth. And, you know, uh, that is relative. And, you know, uh, Ellis Potter believes in the Trinity and uh, Richard Dawkins says, well, that's just trash. Uh, and he does say that he uses very strong language against Christianity. What is your – I mean, apart from the cup of tea, which I think is absolutely beautiful – do you believe that logic will only answer certain key truths up to a point?
0: I think that logic has to be contextualized in other ways of knowing in order to function properly.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Now Jacques Fresco It's interesting he's appearing again On screen He says And please listen carefully Take off all the masks Manners Fancy clothes All the devices you use And be the most honest person You can be with yourself Then whatever love you get is real And the false approaches Like trying to be a player Only brings false results Unquote what do you say to that?
0: I think he's in the right direction. Yes. Jesus was not a religious man. Yes. He was an ordinary man. who He yes. about doing good and yes. meeting people. Mm-hmm. I think he's on the right track.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that Jesus did take off the masks. He did endeavor to take off the masks of people. Uh He certainly never wore any fancy clothes, uh, unlike some people whom we know. And... uh I think he's again homing in, Jacques Fresco is, on the importance of being honest. But let's take someone sitting at their desk today and they're just really seriously contemplating one of those three scenarios. What methodologies would you use to someone to say, look, I prefer viewpoint C rather than viewpoint A? I
0: would want to ask which of these worldviews Answers the most questions. Yes. And in which of the worldview do I belong as a question answerer? hmm. hmm.
2: hmm.
0: So in the first worldview, if I would ask who is asking these questions, yes. The answer would be asking
2: is. Yes. Yes.
0: But in the third worldview, the answer would be I am asking. Mm -hmm. And the validity of me having a point of view Mm -hmm. and asking a question Mm -hmm. is established and maintained Mm -hmm. by God.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And then that that seems to be the least religious solution Mm -hmm. to the question.
3: Mm -hmm. I think that it's very important. I think that, you know, having walked this path for more than 30 years, it's just very clear to me. Uh, that uh, you've got different domains to our being And logic can only answer, for example, the central truths You know, of, say, general relativity or special relativity uh, But, you know, for example, love cannot be quantified I can't give you an equation to describe love And I think that, you, you know, in the Gospels, for example It's so epitomized, the love the logos, the love, and I think that's really your central theme in uh, in your third uh, alternative for the theory of everything, is it not?
0: Yes, it is, because one of the most important things in human life is marriage, and no matter how brilliant you are as a logical person, you cannot have an accurate marriage.
3: Yes, that's right. The variables are too many.
0: -hmm. uh, Logic will not contain or explain or guide you in marriage. There has to be other ways of knowing that uh, fit in. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Ellis, Carl Sagan has said something interesting which appeared on the screen now. The universe is much bigger than our prophet said, much grander, more subtle, more elegant. Uh, my God is a little God, says Carl Sagan, and I want him to stay that way, quote-unquote. Thorsten, your comments briefly. I know I'm throwing this as a curveball, but would you like to... Okay, Ellis, you kick off with this one. My God is a little God, and I want him to stay that way, says Carl Sagan. Your comments.
0: Well, I think that's uh, the attitude of a lot of insecure people. That we want to be bigger than we actually are.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
0: if his God is a little God, then he's a totally useless and ridiculous God. So yes. Some sort of a plaything that you yes. keep on the shelf and yes. bring down from time to time. Yes. I think if you want to have any kind of God at all, you have to have an absolutely big one.
3: hmm 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 So, folk, you listening to Ellis Potter being interviewed live? On uh, on this global streaming To follow him on his visits To our precious country You simply type Labri L-A-B-R-I dot Z-A dot org Or just watch my Twitter feed At Starry Galaxy Man And I'll certainly be advertising All of Ellis Potter's talks But Thorsten why don't you interject here
1: the reason i was stalling was i was looking for a, a particular quote from mm-hmm. uh, cs lewis w- mm-hmm. which i think plays into that uh, mm-hmm. into that space very well i think mm-hmm. if um it's um it's risky to embrace a large god mm-hmm. and it's risky to mm-hmm. embrace a personal god mm-hmm. i do make myself vulnerable when that happens mm-hmm. um the uh, um the cs lewis quote mm-hmm. talks about uh, um, an impersonal God versus a personal one. Mm -hmm. Here it is. An impersonal God, well and good. Mm -hmm. A subjective God of beauty, truth and goodness Mm -hmm. inside our own heads, better Mm. still. Mm. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power which we can tap Mm. best of all. Mm. But God himself, alive, Mm. pulling at the other end of the cord, Mm. perhaps approaching at an infinite speed. Mm. The hunter. King, husband—that mm. is quite another matter. Mm.
3: We have an int- that's very interesting, and you know, as we're wrapping up in the last four minutes of this hour's broadcast, uh, Christopher Wheeler, very hearty welcome to you, and uh, you've got a great little thought here, and I'd love both of you to respond. Ellis first. He says here, Christopher Wheeler, and a very warm welcome to you. The, religi- the re- religiosity driving South Africa's culture and politics is corrosive. And blunts critical thinking before it starts. Uh, perhaps, okay, Ellis, you take the ball.
0: Yes, I would agree with that. I'm not a religious person. I used to be a religious person, but now I am a Christian.
2: Yes. Yes,
0: And I think religion, in the sense of a system that approaches absolute reality, is, as Karl Marx said, most often the opiate of the people and a means of manipulating people. But Christianity Uh. is not a religion. It is simply the truth of reality. Mm
3: -hmm. Would you say that religion is God's greatest enemy? Because I often say that.
0: Uh, I would have to think about that, but I might move in that direction.
3: Yes. I just think of Galileo Galilei facing the church and religiosity, uh, yes. hardcore thinking, and that certainly blunted critical thinking, and it was religiosity. You think of Tyndale burnt at the stake uh, for wanting to give England the yes. Bible in English. That was simply blunting critical thinking, and that was the church doing the job.
0: Yes, and I would like to say to our our first uh Person who contacted us.
3: Yes, to Sam. I
0: hope, pardon me? To Sam. To Sam. I would like to say, Sam, I hope that you will always remain a skeptic.
3: Hmm.
0: Be- because a skeptic is someone who is not convinced that they know everything mm-hmm. and believes that they need to learn more. Mm-hmm. And if you don't remain a skeptic, you will either become a cynic that believes you know that everything is nonsense
3: mm-hmm.
0: or you will become a fanatic whose mind is closed.
3: Mm-hmm. Beautiful that's beautiful. Ellis that is just awesome. Uh,
1: uh one minute for Thorsten's response there. Okay. Um I would want to unpack a little bit with what uh, um Christopher means with religiosity. Yes. So I would okay. I would want to unpack that and ask yes. um are those are we talking about beliefs that are aligned with reality, with mm-hmm. the way things really mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. or are we th- uh, talking about beliefs that are running counter to that? So, mm-hmm. um, I would, I wouldn't use the word religiosity in that context. Mm-hmm. I would say, do we believe uh, th- th- things that are, that are true? Do mm-hmm. we believe? Um, and are those beliefs um, Helping us forward This is mm. uh, of course A very loaded question mm. And um, perhaps we shouldn't be drawn mm. on Into mm. a political discussion 30 mm. seconds before the show mm. ends <laughs> Well I can't wait Unfortunately
3: uh, I c- will not be able To uh, attend uh, Ellis's talks But I certainly hope Maybe Thorsten That we can squeeze in a cup of tea With Ellis before I fly to Sydney On Sunday But Ellis has been a singular joy Really I can just sense across the lines, warmth, honesty the great joy of pursuit like Blaise Pascal did. Thank you for joining us Thorsten, thank you too for joining us. Ellis, the South African soil cannot await your presence with more greater anticipation. I will tell her. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you David.
0: God bless you too. Thank you.